0: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness.
1: It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Gem Accessories. Gem Accessories is one of the leading accessory manufacturers within the trading card game space. Known for their deck boxes, Gem also has an amazing lineup of binders, backpacks and more. Some of our personal favorites include the new KLRZ icons deck boxes, the secrets binder and the Jaguar and Puma backpacks. But don't just take it from us, check out some of these reviews on screen. For all of these amazing products and more, be sure to check out Gem accessories using the link in the description down below, or on Twitter at Xgem accessories. Again, the description down below, or on Twitter at XGem Accessories. Top cut. welcome to the top cut. welcome to the top cut. Top cut. welcome to the, top cut. Welcome to the top cut. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. <laughs> I, of course, am Sunny. I am here with my co-host Caleb. Hello. And I promise this is our first time recording this intro. Take one yeah it's, surely it's secretly take two nope 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 because someone nope forgot nope. to press the record button only on the audio i got the recording on video just not on audio i blame you what do i do i don't know but i'm sure there's something <laughs> and if there's not then there will be okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> All right, of course, we want to thank all of you for coming into today's episode of the podcast. We are genuinely thankful that you are all here. And of course, we want to thank all of our wonderful sponsors. So, thank you to Jim TCG, who I'm sure you heard an ad for a second ago, as well as, of course, Dragon Shield and TCG Player, who have given us affiliate links, which are both down below. Click them before you shop to support the podcast at no extra cost to yourself. And of course, we want to thank Millennium Threads for. They're awesome link code and products. You can use code topcut 10 at checkoff for 10% off your entire order. So of course, the number one way that you can support the podcast at no extra cost to yourself is if you enjoy it, be sure to tell a friend that way they can enjoy it too. And they can have this twice a week dose of us in their lives. And maybe they'll
1: want it three times a
0: week. And that's where the patron comes in true patreon <laughs> and of course if you're on apple podcast or spotify there is a follow or subscribe button and of course there's always a subscribe button on youtube and there's also a little notification bell if you want to know every time we post something so which i promise we won't overload you we're not that <laughs> we're not that consistent well we're very consistent on our main episodes just not on yeah, yeah. All right, and of course, let's thank all of our wonderful patrons. So, like Caleb said, if you are on the patrons, then if you're on the $5 and up tier, you get an extra episode every week. So, a huge thank you to Cam Yang, Top Cut, Trouble Sunny, and Caleb, Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Marshawn Jones, Zyphorus, Yeet the Feet, AD, Ash Blossom, and No Joy. Knew it for the catnip Lord Vader, Catsith. Catsith.
1: I am not dignifying this with a response
0: knew it (laughs) do it Earth Machine Best Deck Epi Has anyone actually read Toy Vendor? HGH Cyber I Am McLincoln Imagine playing Yu Gi Oh in 2022 on Earth in the Milky Way Galaxy in the universe on Earth in 2022 playing Yu Gi Oh Jared Helton Mountain Man Oatmeal Spaghetti Owen Alvarado Pig Quitting the game is a floodgate Rudolph Sprite Farter Kirillowance Havnas Floodgate in your mouth Unbanned number 95 Konami Understanding and reading are two different things Virtually Saviors World Aaron Gardner Asami Ashless Chaps Brandon Potter Cyber Dark and Dragon is actually broken Duty Booty Dragon Maidenless Behavior First higher dog turd. <laughs> it's such a cheap, easy laugh. Oh my God. Jerry Beans, man. King, King Henry, Old Man Red, Pin Code 143, Ray Powell, Shockmaster did nothing wrong, slake it up, sunny is a freaky worm guy, and Vampire Frawlines the only waifu a person should have. Isn't that right, Sonny? No, it's not right. For a myriad of reasons. That I'm not gonna justify right now. Because we don't have time. And I don't need to explain myself to you. Yeah. So instead I will fill this space
1: With more Palpatine jokes
0: Okay Palpatine, Palpatine, what are we going to do with
1: all this day-old meat? Stew it (laughs) Palpatine, Palpatine My pencil broke, what am I going to do? Glue it Palpatine, Palpatine, I need some place to sit What do I do? I don't know, what do you do?
0: I I had a Move it No wait, I had a punchline and I forgot what it was (laughs) It was something to do with a chair, but I don't know what it was. I don't even know how a chair I don't even know what you do. What I How did I lose the joke mid-joke? How do you lose a joke mid-joke, Sonny? I don't know. I genuinely don't. You just do it! (laughs) (laughs) Got him!
1: Ow! I threw it!
0: Okay, while we're here, and in this segment that doesn't really like have a purpose
1: (laughs) outside of us just goofing off,
0: you let's let's do a little thing where we tell each other what we learned for the day.
1: Did you learn anything new today? Uh, yes, actually. What did you learn? So I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, listening to a lot of YouTube videos on the org, and just on the history of various video games. Sure. And I learned that. In uh, Super Mario 64, Bowser... I already knew that Bowser and Boo had the exact same laugh, it's just sped up or slowed down. Sure. What I learned was that that specific sound audio file that they sped up and slowed down to make Boo and Bowser's laughs came from a sound library, where mm-hmm. they also got a lot of ba- other, other... All the rest of Bowser sounds, there's like bobcats and other animals, right? Yeah. Well, it's just a generic dude laughing. That sound was recorded in 1980 by Charles Martinet. Who then, a decade later, would be voice acting Mario in Super Mario sixty four? Huh,
0: that's so, like some some small
1: world type stuff. Yeah, so technically Charles Martinet voiced Mario, Bowser, and Boo in that game. That is
0: eight degrees of separation right there. It's funny, and I love it. It's it's just a hilarious little story. So I also learned something new today. Did you know? And I, this is I I can't believe I learned this today. Albert Einstein was a real person. Yeah. I know the joke, but I'm gonna let you tell it. I always just thought he was a theoretical physicist.
1: <laughs>
0: I also learned that dogs technically don't have foreheads. They just have one. It's all they need. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So today, <laughs> as I'm sure you oh, I, I hate this. I, I hate bad jokes, but I love them so much. My inner dad just, ah. <sighs> So, of course, as I'm sure you saw in the title and thumbnail of the video, we are, of course, talking about deck building in Yu-Gi-Oh! I would say in Yu-Gi-Oh! deck building is far and away the most important aspect of your game. The game before the game. Yes,
1: absolutely. That's a great way to put it.
0: It's a game of
1: 4D chess before you play a game
0: of normal chess. Right. (laughs) deck building is such a critical and integral part of Yu-Gi-Oh, and not just Yu-Gi-Oh, but other card games as well you can of course find optimal deck building in Yu-Gi-Oh, magic the gathering pokemon and any card game that you play because deck building is what allows you to play the game in the way you want to play it
1: and what i found and i've always found hilarious is that the deck building sometimes isn't the way you would think it would work yeah it's not always intuitive for great example of this is pokemon actually Mm -hmm. so for those who don't know the way pokemon works is that in order to declare attacks you have to have energy and you can only attach one energy per turn sure a lot of decks only run like like you have a 60 card deck a lot of decks only run like 10 energy really yeah i have an old Machamp ex deck i run 10 energy total wow hold on I run Machampi, I run like four copies of Machamp EX, uh-huh. two
0: Regirock, okay. and a Regirock EX. Which alone costs way more than 10 energy to do what they want to do. Come, yeah, if I was to play them all. Yeah. Ideally,
1: I'll never play them all. Right. So, and that's it. Those are all my Pokemon. Everything else are trainer cards.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Because,
1: because you get trainer cards like uh, Ultra Ball, which is just go and fetch pokemon and place on your on your bench uh other other things let like you grab energies out of your discard pile others just let like you go and fetch them out of your deck right there's so much and there's so much draw uh just off of the professors letting you discard your hand draw seven yes yes so there's just so deck building just isn't very intuitive you would never think to do that Right. Based on the game mechanics or even the way the structure decks are set up. Yeah. Because they always have like 20 energy in them.
0: Right. So
1: just an example of deck building not being intuitive sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I'll give the I'll let you, you know you all know where we got the inspiration for this episode. So I've recently picked up playing some Magic the Gathering. This is something that Caleb has dabbled with a fair amount in the past. And we have a lot of other friends that play Magic either at a... You know, a fairly competitive level, or even just... Kitchen table. Kitchen table, right.
1: Yeah, we're, we're sticking on the kitchen table side.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I might go to the shop and get games in there, but I probably won't be a high-level tournament player where I'm traveling for events and things like no. that. Uh, just something to play with friends when I want a bit of a break from Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. And not even, like, taking a break necessarily, but, you know... Yeah, d- just, just don't... Just, switch it up a little bit. Yeah, so that way you don't burn out. Exactly. So what i've been doing since i'm very new to magic overall i have a basic idea of some of the mechanics you know i I know the idea of tapping cards you know i know the idea of playing mana and you know having mana that synergizes with your deck and things like that but i had no idea of the synergies within the cards themselves and things like that so in an effort to learn more, and better educate myself about a game that I am learning, I went to, of course, the most natural resource that anybody can use, which is YouTube. <laughs> and, of course, I start watching Tolarian Community College, one of the great YouTube channels, by the way. If you're interested in magic, hit them up. Absolutely. So, Tolarian Community College is one of the largest Magic the Gathering YouTube channels, Period. And
1: the guy behind it actually does dabble in Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit. Very little bit. Literally the same amount that me and that me and Sonny are dabbling in magic. Or less. Yeah, just kitchen table on a rare occasion. Yes.
0: But the idea though is that a lot of his videos are very informative and teaching based about the game. Well, so it's a natural resource for a new player who wants to get into the game, which is perfect for me. So one of the videos that he did was proper deck building in magic. And I thought to myself, I would like to delve into this a little bit with Yu-Gi-Oh! Because as a whole, Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't have a lot of guides or resources on deck building. Now, you can find tons of really super duper in-depth discussion on the minutia of deck building. But no... Rule of thumb, yes, exactly. So, for example, Patrick Hobin's book *Road of the King*. It is a wonderful, wonderful tool that teaches you about a myriad of different things across the game of Yu-Gi-Oh. It teaches you about the mind games that happen sometimes before the game even starts. You know, when right when you sit down at the table, the intricacies of deck building at, like I said, like a minutia level. And it teaches you all these things, but I feel that there's a certain amount of predicated knowledge that is expected before you read a book like this. It's not a book that just anybody can pick up and read. And I feel like there needs to be an earlier setup to get into something like this. So that's why we're going to talk about when deck building, focusing on things like consistency, Ceiling and these different things, even as much as something just like committing to a plan. Mm-hmm. These are things that aren't necessarily spoken or said for Yu Gi Oh! but they are just as important as sitting down and drawing your opening hand. Mm-hmm. Let's call this Yu Gi Oh! 102. Yes.
1: More complicated than 101, but
0: also still very basic information. And stuff that's extremely important to understand at a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and dive on in with the first point, which is that archetypes are an important part of Yu-Gi-Oh! They are everything. Yeah, and when we say archetypes, we mean when you read the name on a card, it might say, for example, Atlantean Dragoons, Mm -hmm. right? Or Machina Fortress. But say there's another card that's Machina Gearframe. Or Machina Ruin for us. And you end up with these cards that are all parts of the same archetype. So, in essentially, essentially, this is the game's creator saying, we want you to take this group of cards. And use them together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, take these cards, put them together, deck build around this strategy to give yourself an idea of what you want to see your deck do oh yeah and then like a lot of the time then nine
1: times out of ten those cards with similar names will have effects that kind of build on each other a little bit exactly uh, a great actually a fantastic example of that would be uh the medall chase because their whole shtick is just swarming the field and then making rank fours right so you have so that so you have the Angeli. ...who can fetch uh, one out of your deck... ...which then can proc its effect... ...which can, can proc the effect of Petting Sessor... ...who fetches the Pudding Sess... ...and lowers her level by one to four... ...boom you got a rank four... ...which then fetches another rank... ...which is, fetches a hoot cake, ...who then fetches another monster... ...whose effect fetches a spell... ...activate... ...which then fetches... ...and they all just kind of flow into each other... ...to get my microphone... ...to get their uh, stuff going... ...I'm talking with my hands here... ...but it's kind of a cyclical... Uh, ...effect... Yes. So with Medolce with, uh, with as an example of how archetypes are supposed to work together.
0: Exactly. Even like you said, Medolce Magellan, Normal Summon, Search Medolce. Machinas have the same thing with Machina Gearframe. Normal mm-hmm. Summon, Gear Frame, Search any Machina Monster. Mm-hmm. And then like and like all the Machinas are machine. So
1: Machina right. Fortress is pitch
0: uh, two machines, to Special Summon. it. And you can even see this in the extra deck. So a good example would be in Sword Soul, you have Sword Soul of Mo Yi. You normal summon it, reveal a worm in your hand and summon a level four token tuner. And hey, guess what? All the Sword
1: Souls are all worms.
0: Yes. And this allows you to synchro summon into a level eight, which the Sword Souls have a level eight synchro called Sword Soul of Chi mm-hmm. which is a, or Sword Soul Grandmaster Chi which is a level eight worm synchro. Which requires a worm tuner, or no, uh, one monster, one tuner plus one worm non-tuner. Mm-hmm. So, as a result, this being a worm deck and have going for worm monsters in the extra deck allows you this ability to build on itself and mm-hmm. make it go somewhere that is intentional. But because of the design of Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> there's this inherent. Ability to make it pair not just with the archetype, but with potentially anything. Yeah,
1: the, some parts of archetypes are just kind of generic. A great example of that, I believe, is uh, Gear uh, G- Gear Gigan X, I believe. Yeah. Detach one, search for a machine. Yes, absolutely. Um, reinforcement of the army. Great example of a generic card is just search a level four lower warrior. Easy.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Level three. Is it four or three? Four or lower? Okay, because and, and you can search Stratos. An emergency teleport is a level three. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Of.
1: yeah. Um. So great, so great. So what I mean by generic is, uh, with Elmulti heroes, they run e emergency call, which is an in archetype uh, search. You can't in archetype search the search, search e call emergency uh, e emergency call, but you can just activate it and search for hero. They also run on top of that reinforcement of the army because it's all of them are warriors, so it just kind of
0: fits. Right. So. Like we're saying, these archetypes are a very integral part of the game. Understanding what archetype you want to play, or even if you're not playing an archetype, a general overarching strategy that you want to play. Do you want to play more mid-range? Do you want to play more combo? Do you want to play control?
1: Like, ideally you want to figure out what style of play you want to to do, and then you're going to want to figure out what archetypes can
0: do that. For example, if I wanted to play control, I know that I would probably want to play either altergeist or Eldlich. probably mm-hmm. eldlitch mm-hmm. or labyrinth right if i want to play mid-range some great mid-range decks are things like sortzel or Brigade, yeah or prank kids originally uh, right after meow came out was a great mid-range deck mm-hmm. or if i want to play full-on combo i could play something like drytron dragon link dragon link tier laments these days is the most you know Obvious Sprite. Sprite is a mid-range deck. Really? Yeah. It feels
1: really combo-y to me. It can potentially. I think just I think because it I think because it like starts out as a combo deck, but it ends on a mid-range board.
0: Yeah, it it's got a lot of follow-through. Yeah. So the thing to keep in mind here is if you want a control strat, you want something that's going to slow the game down to your pace that you decide. And advantage your opponent out of the game. If you want combo, it's something that's going to maybe have a long first turn. But realistically, end on a board that your opponent won't be able to break. And then you kill them the next turn. Midrange wants to take that, take kind of an in-between approach. Yeah, best of both worlds. Right, where you take kind of a slower approach to building your original board. It's a less overwhelming board. But your goal is to just try to live to next turn. Just enough interruption to live. And then next turn, you can immediately go ahead and go off enough to kill your opponent. Or, if need be, if you don't kill them that turn, well, then you live to the next turn and do it Mm -hmm. next turn. And And a
1: lot of these decks, a lot of the mid-range decks can also just kind of go, oh, no, you broke my board. Just reset up the exact same board again. Yes. Oh, no, you did it again
0: yeah exactly
1: and they just keep setting up the same board over and over
0: and over and usually the mid-range decks are marked by a lot of engine recursion but also an explosiveness
1: Mm -hmm. explosive when it's needed right
0: what you give up in control is sealing what you give up in combo is usually consistency i would
1: say longevity as well
0: sure yeah absolutely there is a certain amount of don't you hope the game doesn't go four or five turns. Yeah. And then mid range, what you give up is a little bit of ceiling and a little bit of consistency. So, I would say decide what you want to play. Once you decide what you want to play, decide what archetype you want to play and build around that archetype.
1: Yeah. Now, let's just say for the sake of argument that you've picked an archetype and no one else is, not, not very many other people are playing the archetype. I find myself in that position a lot.
0: <laughs> True. Uh,
1: I mean, just I mean, because just between uh, Marincest, when I picked it up, barely anyone was playing the deck at the time. Uh, Labyrinth, right now, not a whole not a whole lot of people are playing it. I can only think of like a handful of people that are playing it, including myself. Um, so then I gotta sit there and figure out figure out a lot of the stuff on my own instead of looking up a deck list. Right. So how do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing you can do is commit to a plan. Yes. So um, a lot of archetypes, though, have built-in plans already. Yeah, sure. So the trick is to read the cards and identify... W- first off, you got to read the cards. That's very important. Read the cards. <laughs> uh, and then that'll help you
0: ad- so that we can identify what the deck is actively trying to do. Right. Once you understand an end goal of the deck, you can figure out what cards are going to further your strategy to achieve that end goal. Right. Something like a dinosaur deck in Yu-Gi-Oh is going to have an end goal of creating an opposing board that your opponent won't be able to break through use of things like Dolka, Lagia, potentially even like a Boreload Savage Dragon, depending or even an Abyss Dweller. And And then even UCT. Oh, yeah. Using UCT to stop your opponent from making clays. Right. Which is insane that you can do that with them. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you have to decide what your strategy is and figure out what cards are going to get you to that strategy. Now, what I would say is another thing that you need to decide is whether you're going first or second. Because once you build out the engine of your deck, this is the thing that makes your deck tick. This is the thing that makes your deck go and gets you to that that ending. Mm Mm-hmm. You're also going to have a, some extra space. Usually about 10 to 12 spots yeah. of space. Sometimes 15 if it's a smaller engine. <coughs> and you need to decide if your plan is to go first or to go second. If your plan is to go first, that means you need to stop your opponent
1: from being able to play. Um, so you run extra... And you also need to keep your opponent
0: from keeping you from playing. Right. So I think th- when you're going first you want the things you want to include in your deck list are things that are going to allow you to insulate the board that you're already making. So in a deck like Eldlitch, I would maybe be running things like floodgates. If I'm planning on going yep. first, Cyframe gear gamma. Sure. Not in Eldlitch, but yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you can stop, it can stop the ash on the sanguine. <laughs>
0: i mean i guess yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't run any hand traps in eldlitch yeah that's just as an example right if it's not a good example don't do that there are better things to do um i would run floodgates in eldlitch yeah if i'm in a more of a combo deck i might run something that gives my deck a little bit more consistency because realistically in a combo deck your ceiling is your extra insulation and then in a mid range deck, I would probably run a lot of hand traps, mm-hmm. because usually in these mid range decks, there's a way to at least draw a card or two, and you really want to draw into hand traps because if you know a combo board might have four monsters that all have negates and this that yeah, and the other, yeah, yeah. whereas with a mid rangey deck, I can have maybe two monsters on board with maybe one back row, mm-hmm. and like three or four cards in my hand, and maybe a couple of those are hand traps. Those re- those represent extra forms of interruption but I don't have to commit them to my board.
1: Yeah, and then another card you kind of also have to consider if you're going first is Solemn Judgment. If you're doing combo and or control. Combo, mid-range, or control. Actually, all three of them.
0: I think Solemn Judgment is more of a side deck
1: card. Oh, definitely, but it's still something to consider. Right. Because
0: of exactly
1: board breakers.
0: I guess, yeah so we'll get into it, that into those it, when we're talking about going second so going second
1: yeah yeah it's a great time to great transition there
0: yeah good segue so going second is going to be a little bit different of a strategy when you're going second a lot of times you're looking for a big blowout cards that are going to heavily swing the favor of the game in your favor so cards like these are dark ruler no more forbidden droplet super poly if you can run it super poly is a great one lightning storm harpy's feather duster regeki regeki monster reborn even can be a blowout card now if you notice something about a lot of these
1: cards if you just kind of still have no what they do offhand a lot of them are just kind of you lose everything if you don't negate this right it forces an interaction yes and then a good chunk of the other ones were just your opponent can't respond to them
0: yes so solves the problem anyway absolutely it is so important in Yu-Gi-Oh! to understand that if you commit to one of these strategies, you kind of need to go all in on it. If you're committed to going second, at this day and age in this point in time, I'm probably playing 3 Mystic Mine, 3 Forbidden Droplet, and 3 Dark Ruler No More, and maybe something else along the lines of lightning storm. And honestly maybe also something else like a duster.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things you can run in run in that kind of situation and then go in second. Right. Um again if your deck can run it, Super Poly is always good. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Super Poly is a really great card even especially in today's meta. Um especially with the likes
1: of Mud Dragon of the Swamp and Garuda running around. Yes. Which are just
0: generic. Yeah. But I would also caution you in that blowout cards, I I know when you read these cards, they're like, it's like, wow, this card's insane. But you need to understand that it's not the end all be all. So, a good thing to remember is, Rageki is at three. But it's at three for a reason. A lot of times, you don't want to commit too much to these blowout cards. Because at the end of the day, in a metagame that has a lot of negation, a lot of countering your cards, something like a Regeki not resolving ends up just being a minus one. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, you don't really want to super duper overcommit to these cards unless you feel that it's going to give you an excessive advantage swing. So... (laughs) lightning storm would get you there same thing with dark ruler no more dark ruler no more in terms of pure card advantage how the cards actually change when the card is played dark ruler no more is a minus one but it is such a tempo swing that it effectively can cause you to go plus it, it literally looks at your opponent's board and says, that's a nice board
1: you have there. It'd be shame if anything were happened to it. Right. On the topic also of stuff to just stop your opponents in the gates, there's also uh, Kaijus and an Avagolem. Yeah, absolutely. To essentially serve the same purpose,
0: but they do it in a different way. Yeah, these are also great going second cards. The only thing I would r- really try to keep in mind is that depending on what your strategy is and the things that you lose to you need and what's really popular in the meta you need to be able to decide whether you want to run lava golem or wing dragon raw sphere mode or or a kaiju
1: Kaiju. nine times out of ten the kaiju is gamma seal and like second most commonly used one i think is gadarla
0: yes yeah basically anytime there's a wind barrier statue gadarla is the kaiju of choice yeah because you can distribute over the barrier statue Right. So I would say that you need to think about what your strategy is, commit to it, and understand that you don't want to overcommit, which is the next point, actually. Yes. Don't overcommit to certain things because something like too many hand traps or board breakers can potentially cause your deck to be bricky. Yeah, because then you open a hand of nothing
1: but board breakers and you're just like, oh. Right. Well, you're not going to have a field, but neither am I. Yeah. Or you open up hand-to-hand traps and go, neither one of us are going to get to play this game. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: But to be fair, this huge committal can be offset to a certain degree with certain consistency cards. So this is what we were talking about earlier. We mentioned that you can play Reinforcement of the Army in your warrior deck. Mm-hmm. You can play um, emergency teleport in a lot of different decks, which, yeah, you're playing three of it, but it essentially functions as less cards in your deck.
1: Yeah, it is because it turns into another card in your deck. Basically, it's right. Great example of that is if you're running, let's say you're running five warriors in your deck for whatever reason, and then you're running your one copy of Rota, you're actually running six warriors because that Rota is just going to turn into one of those warriors that you need.
0: Right so you also have cards like upstart goblin or pot of desires duality in certain decks prosperity or extravagance back in the day
1: you're gonna find you're, you're, this is good information about upstart goblin real quick back in the day you would you might see people if you go on with old forums there's still people saying hey just run a 37 card deck you're like how is that possible upstart goblin's how that's possible
0: pulling itself a slide point you draw a card This is a theory that was put into place by Patrick Hoban around 2011, 2012, which is part of the reason why Upstart Goblin's at one right now. It's the entire reason Upstart Goblin's at one. Because
1: it allows you to run a 39-card deck.
0: Yeah, so there's a theory that in Yu-Gi-Oh!, life points don't truly matter. The only life point that truly matters is the last one. Mm -hmm. So giving your opponent a 1,000 life points... that's fine if it allows me to run, essentially, a 37-card deck. Because if you draw an opening hand of five cards and one of them is Upstart Goblin, well, then you just move on to the next card. Mm -hmm. So it is essentially placeholder cards that do nothing but allow you to get more cards into your hand. It's the entire reason Upstart is currently limited. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So now, at best, you can run a 39-card deck. Right. If you want to get into that draw power... The best you can do is Pot of Extravagance, which will at most draw you five cards over the course of three turns. Mm-hmm. Or something like Pot of Prosperity, which allows you to dig really deep.
1: Oh, real deep. Yes. As, uh, as in revealing the top six cards and adding one of them
0: to your hand. Right. Right. Or Pot of Desires, which if you're running more of a mid-rangey deck like Sword Solar Brigade, I know I keep saying them, but that's because yeah. I've played them and exclusively almost yeah. for the past year and a half.
1: And your deck consists of a series of three ofs.
0: Right, where you really only need one of them to really go off. Yeah. It's like, eh, oh sure, I'll banish it off the top. Let's go. Right. And then it's just consistency. So having the ability to add this consistency to your deck can really, really patch or fix a lot of issues but don't let that cloud you from okay i need a certain amount of engine in my deck to make it go you know if you have a deck that is a two card combo kind of deck then i would say that you need to be wary of having too many non-engine cards you know if you're running a deck that is a one card combo deck well, then you can, like, Prank Kids was a great example. It was a one-card combo deck, and you could get there. You had, you usually ran about 15 or 16, about 16 ways, either Prank Kids or ways to get a Prank Kid. Yeah. So, that left you a lot of room to run non-engine cards as well as consistency cards.
1: Yeah, because then as long as you drew a name or a way to get into a name, you
0: had full combo. Exactly. So, the last thing that I want to really say and I I really want this one to hammer home because this is maybe the most important thing I will say the side deck is just as important as the main deck
1: if not more important in some
0: rare instances absolutely so a great example of this I go to a tournament I am ready I've built my deck and I'm raring to go I sit down across from my opponent game one. What is he playing? Eldritch. I'm not playing dedicated back row removal in my main deck.
1: Yeah, you've got like the one cosmic cyclone
0: in case you encounter mystic Mine, And that's about it. Exactly. So the solution here for me is to take that and account for that weakness in my side deck. I run five to six Back row removal cards. Yeah. Dedicated back row. Twin yeah. Twisters, Cosmic Cyclones, Lightning Storm, Harpy Feather Duster. And evenly matched. Yeah, evenly matched can even be a great blowout against decks like that that are advantage based because if you can hit them with a 3 for 1 or a 4 for 1, that's huge. Especially because then you put them in a situation of use it or lose it. Absolutely. And if they can't use it, yes. oh well! So, <laughs> I think that... If you're in a situation where you can cover the weaknesses of your deck through the use of the side deck, uh, it's very, very tempting to build your deck, get it down to 40 cards for maximum consistency, because consistency is king in Yu-Gi-Oh! Get it down to 40 cards, maximum consistency, you're raring to go. It's really tempting to take those last few cards that you cut for your main deck and and just put them in the side deck. But you really don't want to do that. You want to have a game plan for the decks that you are going against. You want to know what you're going to do going first. And know what you're going to do going second. Like the only time you ever want to run
1: just more copies of cards you have in your main deck. Is, as far as I know exactly Cosmic Cyclone.
0: Potentially.
1: Because you're maining one for exactly Mystic Mine. So you don't auto lose game one. And then you put the other two in the side.
0: I would say that there's better ways of doing it but yeah i the thing that you need to really remember is uh, there are just some things that you can't do in just the main in the the just the main deck yeah for example like i said if i wanted to plan for going first well then i'm running a bunch of hand traps but then i go into my i go into game two and i won game one because i deck built properly well, I go to game two and I know my opponent's going to want to go first because I've seen their deck list. I saw how they played the game. Well, I see that they're going to want to go first. So I decide that I'm going to bring out a bunch of my going first cards. Things like I might bring out Ash Blossom. I might bring out Nibiru and depending on what I'm bringing in. Right. So I might bring in things like Dark Roller or more, or Forbidden Droplet or Mystic Mind. Things, cards that we've talked about and when bringing these cards in it gives you a sense of dedicated um what's the word i'm looking for caleb uh, i'm bringing these cards in and it gives me a sense of a cohesive strategy
1: cohesion i guess is the word right
0: so i just the ability to really commit to this strategy is something that the side deck can provide. But understand, know if you're if you're doing broad sweeping changes like doing a full going first strategy to a full going second board breaker strategy. Then know what cards you're bringing out going first and going second. If you're more game planning for specific metas. For example, when Tri Brigade was a popular deck, Lancia was the best side deck card just about. In mm-hmm. heavy, heavy combo formats, Droll and Lockbird is one of the best side deck cards. And as you get into these different cards in these different formats, then you have to understand what cards you're bringing in for what matchups and what cards you're bringing in in those matchups going first versus going second. And just as important is what cards you're going to bring out. I try not to side out engine cards if I can, but if I do side out engine cards, I'm siding out maybe those those one of cards that... you know, give my deck that blowout. You know, I, I don't want to side deck out my main consistency cards. Yeah. If I'm playing Sword Soul, I don't want to side out Sword Soul Emergence.
1: But you might side out like a Pot of Desires.
0: I might side out more of like uh I mean I have side out Pot of Desires, yeah, yeah, I have. But I'm thinking more like I would side out like the Sword Soul Sacred Summit, the revive spell.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's less you it's still a good card, it's just less useful. Right. As opposed to, I don't know, evenly
0: matched. Right. All right. Well, I think that we've really effectively made our point.
1: Yes. Uh, I think like the only thing we really didn't discuss is specifically how to come up with the individual numbers of cards. Sure. Let's touch on that real quick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So basically, the first thing you want to do is pick your archetype. Once you've done that, you need to identify what like what the deck is trying to do and what cards can help you push that at that. Right. Cause a lot of archetypes have cards that kinda do the archetype thing, but not very well. Right. Um, a great example actually is like some of the older oh, like a great example of that actually is uh Midoche Mufuel. Or Mufui yeah. or however you pronounce it. An old, it's an old one that back in the day was used. It's just not used anymore because it just doesn't do what it needs do what the deck wants to do anymore yeah which is put out level fours right because it's a level three and it brings a level four out with it it's just not worth it right um i think but i think a better example of that would be I'm trying like i'm trying to think one off the top of my head but i'm failing miserably of a card that you would run how many of like you wouldn't run because it just doesn't like one of the archetype cards you would just
0: ignore Right, so Gear Gia has a few cards like that, like Gear Gear Auger, or Gear Gia Attacker, or something like that, which is like the jet. They're just not cards that are really a cohesive strategy within the Gear Gear archetype. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: like I'm trying to think of some more pertinent, like some more recent
0: ones. So another recent one would be in the Swordsoul deck. You have Swordsoul, Auspice, uh, Chu- Chojin. Yeah, the big dog looking, bulldog looking dude. Yeah, right. Not so run. he's a level six, but unlike Longyan, he can't summon himself from the hand. So you have to tribute summon him, pretty much, or summon him off of like. There's another weird way you can get him out, but it's not worth it. And yeah. he doesn't have an effect to summon a token, so it just it does not mesh well with the deck. So it's basically completely unplayable yeah so first just a, just a reminder to everybody that card got a super rare but sword soul blackout didn't yeah
1: uh so that's one of the things you're that's one of the first couple things you're going to try and identify is cards that's like yeah they just don't fit with the strategy so we're just gonna put those aside yes then the way i and i think people do this different ways <clears throat> the way i did it was that then i sat down to identify what my starters are what the cards that just on summon fetch something else. Right. Or cards that are just discard fetch something else. I I like to... When I'm deck building, I like to start at three with those. Okay. Because that just gives you a bunch of consistency. Sure. And then from there, you kind of build out to, okay, this card's a brick, but I need it for the deck to work. Right. So
0: that's a one of. So the general rule of thumb that's always cited, whether it be in books or whether you watch YouTube videos, whether you're talking to your friend at your local, the one rule of thumb that everyone in Yu-Gi-Oh! goes by is, if the card is in your deck, how often do you want to see it? If you want to see your card... Every every, opening hand. Yeah, if you want to see it every opening hand, every time, no matter what, you need to see this card. You play three. If you are... If it's a brick that you kind of need for your deck to function optimally, but you really don't want to see it in your opening hand, I you actually, just run
1: one. I actually have a fantastic example of that, and that's actually Badolce Pudding Cess.
0: Yes, she exactly. Is, she
1: is needed for the deck to function properly, but I do not want to see her in my hand. Ever. Ever. If I, if I do, however, she's what I like to call a soft brick.
0: Because you have ways to play with it.
1: In my hand. It, it's not great, I'd, because it's, it's it's taking up a soft that could have been something else. Exactly. Exactly but I can still actually utilize it as opposed to something like the old Gym Knight Garnet where if you drew it, you hard bricked.
0: Yeah, there's nothing you can do with it at that point. Yeah, outside of
1: just Normal Summon as a big beat stick. Um, as Because at the time, the Gym Knight Fusion, I don't remember the actual name of the fusion spell that you would use to make Lapis, the actual Normal Summon, could only fuse from deck. It could not do it from hand or field.
0: God, Gym Knight so Fusion? If,
1: yeah. So if you drew the Garnet...
0: No, Brilliant Fusion.
1: Yeah, Brilliant Fusion, yeah. So if you drew Gymnite Garnet, you couldn't Brilliant Fuse into Lapis.
0: Yeah. So, so if it's a card though, that is a very good card that your deck needs, but is like extremely searchable, or maybe it's a card that you want to see, but not necessarily in every opener. Yeah. Or even, ca- or even a case, or even a
1: case if you don't have to see it, your your combo is just going to get it, get it for you anyway. Right.
0: Then you're in two of that. Now, there's a little bit of differing theory here and there on different cards. Like I, I know two or three incredible Ecclesia the Virtuous was a pretty big debate for quite a long time. But at the end of the day, you are the only person that can decide what is right for you, for your strategy, and for your ideas and ideals. Mm
1: -hmm. and your particular deck and play style
0: yes now with all of that said we hope that the next time you go into deck building and the next time that you go into the tank and you go to try to make something new that you have a much better idea of exactly how you want to make that happen and make it all come together now what do you say we do a few mailbag questions? Oh,
1: yeah, that was a long discussion, but I think it was a good one that needed to happen.
0: Yeah, it was very comprehensive. So, um, first one well, Why is Fluffle Penguin the cutest Pokemon card? Because penguins. Okay, there's a couple of things wrong with here. Um, one, it's obviously not a Pokemon card. Uh, two,. I mean, Even if you make Yu-Gi-Oh card, Fluffle Penguin is not the cutest Yu-Gi-Oh card. It's up there, though. It's clearly Ojama Yellow.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: I was going to say Bopple, but okay. Alright, next we have, of course, let's see, Coper Cracked. Super Polly and Stealth Craig can control to summon Mud Dragon of the Swamp. Sounds pretty cracked, I'm not going to lie. What are... I mean, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Do you think that the game would be more balanced if there were less generic cards? Not like no imprim or no ash, but more along the lines of if Verte required a Predaplant, or even just it a plant monster, or if Hulk required a machine or a Christron monster. I think the
1: power ceiling of the game would be lower overall. I agree. But uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean the game is more balanced.
0: That is fair, but I think it actually is more balanced that way. Yeah, in this exact situation, it probably would. Yeah. Um,
1: the great example that if access code required a code talker.
0: Right. Or if Borload Savage Dragon required a rocket monster. Or just even a dark dragon as one of its materials, because that's right. right. Rock All rockets are dark dragons. So Yes.
1: But then it also lets you make him with some of the non-rocket dragons that uh, rockets would pump out, like delingerous or triboral or something like that so yeah yeah so yeah yeah it, yeah in that exact situation would make more balance because it's easier to balance around stuff if you know it's an, unless you specifically want it to work with the deck mm-hmm. um so yes the game would be more balanced overall uh, particularly one big issue is that you want to have the surprise ancient cards coming back all of a sudden right uh like a. Uh, what was that card's name? Uh, King of the Swamp, all of a sudden, coming back.
0: Yeah, I was seeing a Smoke Grenade of the Thief.
1: Yeah, Smoke Grenade of the Thief, another great example. Uh, but mostly because the power ceiling would also be lower.
0: Yeah. What is a place you would like to see start hosting YCS events that normally doesn't? Dog. We need a YCS New Orleans. Yes, that'd be cool. It has never happened. New Orleans is one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. As one of the best communities in the country. And it is a great, great city for people to visit. I really cannot stress enough how incredibly disheartening it is that uh, New Orleans has never had a YCS. The museums. Oh my goodness. The World War II Museum in New Orleans is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my entire life life agreed absolutely
1: the, uh, my favorite my favorite building though is the museum is the aquarium though. Audubon aquarium yeah dude Audubon aquarium is
0: amazing but i
1: i'm personally more interested in, in aquariums than like it, than museums that are focused on one specific thing
0: yeah also in new orleans um is casinos <laughs>
1: if that's your thing i yeah i I get plenty of gambling from opening packs you go thank you
0: honestly honestly though i don't even open packs that often you know i don't either but i just don't think i have a big appetite for gambling is what it is but when i do open packs i cannot stop like it's not gonna be one box it's gonna be like like three
1: i'm lucky and that my uh And that my lack of money keeps me from just buying more.
0: Yeah. My lack of money doesn't keep me from buying more. We need more patrons to support my pack addiction. (laughs) So (laughs) that's all I'm saying, dog. Oh boy. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, I think that that is actually going to wrap it up for today's episode of the top cut podcast. We got a short one for you today on this wonderful Friday. Um, I think that it is worth saying again, if you enjoyed, be sure to go ahead and subscribe, hit the like button, leave a comment, tell us what you thought, and come in the discord server, bring us some mailbag questions, we're running short, please. And of course, we want to thank all of our wonderful sponsors again, Gem, ETB, Millennium Thredge, Dragon Shield, NTCG Player, and